0: It says, those in Christ seeking to do right need not worry about the scheming of evil people, because that's what Daniel 6 is all about, right? Uh, They are deceived, allying themselves with the devil's tactics, not realizing that the lions they seek to use against the righteous will have mastery over them. Think about this, uh, folks, the very tactics that they tried to use against a righteous man backfired on them. And they're the ones that, that, that felt that. And I thought about that, and I, I was just thinking, how does this really apply to the uh, Christian life, you know? And uh, as I was looking through this, you know, of course, lions, in the scripture lions, always a picture of the, of the devil, uh, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, uh, but these are lions, and so there's more than just one lion, and, but there's also a lot of demons out there, amen, and you know what I think? Many times when we're bitter and angry, um, we rely on the devil's tactics. That's what that is. Our bitterness is really a devilish way to operate within, uh, within this world. And it's amazing. The very thing that we think is going to hurt somebody else, like our bitterness or anger, because we're, it's a, it's, what it is, it's, it's desiring judgment on somebody. That's what bitterness really is. Um, Ultimately destroys you, and so these lions, the power of the lions. It's a matter of something ruling over you, and the word there is very clear when it talks about the power of the lions. Uh, the words later on, it talks about the the lions had mastery over them. It talks about dominion. It talks about ruling over. Uh, now we know what that means in a, in a lion language, you know. But you know, if you look at the word itself. It's really just talking about how that our sin will actually rule over us and we'll have to pay the price for it. And usually our sin, especially when it comes to bitterness and anger, is more about other people than it is about us. It's about what other people have done to us. And so we want them to pay, but ultimately we're the ones that pay. And that's, what, that's just one application I've taken out of this with the accusers and the righteous and the lions and so forth. But there's other things in here I want you to see. In First Peter chapter 3, I'm going to read some verses here, just seem to fit nicely with, uh, with the theme of this, this chapter. It says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you, if ye be followers of that which is good? But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. This passage just so fit Daniel chapter 6, I had to read this. Because this is the New Testament explanation of Daniel chapter 6, Daniel in the lion's den. And D- Daniel lived this out before our eyes in, in Daniel chapter 6, amen? And so I love the principles there and how that applies to us today, folks. We need to learn from this chapter. We need to learn that it does pay to do right. Even though the whole world comes against us and makes false accusations or tries to trap you in your Christianity and... You don't. You're not tolerant. Whatever it may be, you know. You just got to keep doing right. Seek peace. uh, Keep your lips from speaking evil. Don't speak guile. Keep doing the right thing. And you know what? No matter what people do against you, it it will fail. And ultimately, the Bible says they'll be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. What a great passage. Amen. I just thought I'd read that to you. So let's go to number one: the discipline of the faithful the discipline of the faithful. Let's look at number, verse number 10 uh, to verse number 15. It says, now when Daniel knew, remember we talked about the writing, they the, the tricked the king to, to make a decree. That's as far as we got last week. So now Daniel heard about this. And when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees Three times a day, and prayed, and gave thanks before his God, as he did aforetime. Then these men assembled, and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near, and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any God, or man within thirty days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, the thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. Then answered they and said before the king, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah. Isn't that something? You know, they're digging here. (laughs) They're digging against Daniel. So he's not only just Daniel, the president, the first president. Oh, he's Daniel of the captivity of Judah. Remember, of those people that we conquered many years ago. I mean, they're just digging for anything against this guy, you know. And so that's what they say. And then it goes on to say, um, The captain of Judah regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. Then the king, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with Daniel. no with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king, and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king establisheth may be changed. I didn't think we prayed yet, did we? Let's pray. (laughs) Amen. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for this time that we can be together, I pray that you would bless this message. Give me the power I need to preach it and, and Lord help us with it that we can apply to our lives and, and we can go on being righteous and doing the right things and not being afraid of this world, not being afraid of the devil and the things that people may say about us because we want to do right. I just pray Lord you would hedge in this evening and just use this message to teach us some good principles of life in Jesus name, amen. So the first thing I'm going to look at is Daniel's walk with God. Daniel's walk with God. So it says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and he, his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did a four times. So number one, Daniel knew the price of walking with God. He knew the price. So the first thing we say that see there is now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed. So he knew that. In other words, when you get into the Christian life and start following the Lord, you need to know that it's going to cost you something. Luke chapter 14 points that out. It talks about the man who builds a tower. And he says, you better count the cost unless you start building the tower and then don't have what it takes to finish your construction then everybody mocks you because you can't finish what you started. Amen? So in other other words, folks, when you realize that you need to, uh, that there's a cost for your walk with God, you got to do that before you start. Amen? Daniel was like that. Before he got into that place of prayer, before he started walking with the Lord that day, he knew the price. He knew the cost. Someone once said to me, um, you know, even things that pastors go through, uh, different things like that. And they said, oh, you, I bet you never signed up for that. And I looked at him and says, no, I signed up for it. Yeah. I said, I, I went into it eyes wide open. <laughs> I really did. I, you know, before I became a pastor, I saw the things that my pastor went through. And I was there that whole time. And I saw the things that happened to a pastor in ministry and uh, how ugly it can get. And so when I got into it, Folks, I knew the price. I know the cost. Amen. The same thing with you. You got to know the cost. What kind of cost are you willing to pay to follow the Lord? It take, it, I mean, it, it's going to cost you something. Amen. I know Christians today, they don't like that. They like to kind of come to church and just kind of sit there as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Well, the thing is, you'll never be a servant of God. You never can be if you're not willing to count the cost. And so that's the first thing I knew about Daniel's walk is he knew the price of walking with the Lord. Number two, Daniel had a place to talk to God. So this is the place that he went. He went into his house. Now you may have a place in your house that you talk to God, amen? You say, well, yeah, I talk to him everywhere. But sometimes there's a special place that you go and you just take that place and use that place to have your special time with God. And that's why the Bible says in Matthew 6:6, 6, 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Amen. So, one thing I know about Daniel, he knew the price, but he also had a place. He knew there was a place he was going to go and, and talk with God. And I would just really encourage you, if you don't have that place, find a place. And sometimes it's got to be a place where there's not a computer present, <laughs> where there's not a TV close, where there's not something you can turn on and something that beeps and uh, flashes and all these kind of things. A quiet place. Maybe it's an outside place. Maybe it's in the barn. Maybe it's in the attic. I don't know. But you know what? We all ought to have a place that we go just simply to talk to God when we need to talk. Sometimes, for me, I like just going in my vehicle. And I'll go for a ride. That's the time where I don't get bugged by anybody. (laughs) Nobody's in my vehicle with me. And you can just drive and just talk to God. Nothing wrong with that. Or you can park And talk to God. That's a quiet place. Amen. And so whatever you need to do, find that place to talk to the Lord. Number three, Daniel was particular in his prayer life. And this is interesting. I'm going to spend a little time talking about his uh, methodology here. It says, his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed. So the first thing I want you to see, he prayed toward Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Now this is where even a lot of the, the Muslims get the idea to pray towards Mecca. That's because the Jews have always prayed toward Jerusalem before when, when, when Solomon made that, doc, that uh, proclamation and so forth. And I want to talk about that. Number one, it's not prideful performance. What I mean by that is this. He didn't open up the windows to prove that I'm not scared of you. That's not why you open the windows. He didn't open up the windows because uh, he wants to get caught praying, (laughs) you know. In fact, those windows being opened had absolutely nothing to do with the proclamation or the decree that was signed. The window was open because he was directed his prayer towards Jerusalem. That's the only reason. That's how it was. Every time he prayed, every day he prayed, that window was open, and you know what? It didn't matter whether the decree was signed or not. He wasn't opening it up to show everybody, look how spiritual I am. There's no pride involved here, amen? <laughs> I remember one time in year 2000, remember Y2K? You guys remember Some of You weren't born then, <laughs> you know? But, you know, Y2K, it was a big deal. Everybody thought the computers couldn't click past the 2000 mark for whatever reason, I think it was just a government uh, conspiracy. I don't know what it is. But, you know, there was books written on it. There was preachers preaching on it. I mean, it was just all over the place. I watched a news one time, this one pastor, he, he, was, a, he was more of a uh, evangelical, uh, charismatic pastor that was kind of famous in the city of Winnipeg there. And they were interviewing him about Y2K. And uh, he says, oh, uh, I made a whimsical statement, you know, in front of my church people. I had all my firewood. And I had it in my trailer and I drove it to the dump because everybody's scared the hydro is going to go out so they're going to stock up on wood and, you know, beans and everything else. (laughs) You you think you're not going to get because of Y2K. And I thought about that. You know, that sounds good at first here, but in all reality, that's not a good thing to do. You know, I don't need to prove anything. And folks, I won't have to drive my firewood in front of you to prove that somehow you're supposed to trust God. Amen. And so his whimsical statement, I thought about it. And I, was, it was I was just starting preaching at that time. And I just started mulling that over, saying, was this a wise thing for him to do this? And everybody said, oh, whoa, you know, great. <laughs> I thought, no, I don't think so. I think, number one, keep your wood. <laughs> you know, you put a lot of work into that. Don't throw your wood away, for crying out loud, for whatever statement, because it makes no, absolutely no difference whatsoever. And just because you throw where you would doesn't deal with people's fears. They need the Lord, because the Lord has given us the uh, spirit of, not the spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. Amen? And so, I don't know, I didn't like that. But anyways, that's not what Daniel was doing here. (laughs) He wasn't making a whimsical statement by having the windows open. All right? Number two, there's a prophetic perspective here. And of course, we know that at this point in Jerusalem, where was the temple? Well, the temple was rubble. It was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar destroyed it early on in the captivity. So really, he's praying toward Jerusalem, but Jerusalem is torn down. Uh, The temple is torn down. There is no temple there. Uh, Even the vessels are right there in Babylon of the temple. you know. And so he's praying towards Jerusalem, but he knows that the temple's not there, but he does know it's going to be there. Amen? And so I think in his mind and heart, he's thinking ahead. He's thinking by faith that God's going to restore them and he's going, they're, they're going to be restored back to Jerusalem. There's good verses on that. Uh, Zechariah 8 verse 22, it says, Yea, many people and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Amen. That's Zechariah. That's talking about the millennial reign. Amen. So many strong nations will come to Jerusalem and pray towards the Lord. So when Daniel's praying, he's thinking also prophetically. He's saying, you know what? The temple may be destroyed, but that temple is going to be rebuilt. And it's not going to be the Antichrist temple. It's going to be the Messiah's temple. Amen. He knew that. In Psalm 68 verse 29, it says, Because of thy temple at Jerusalem shall kings bring presents unto thee because of thy temple in Jerusalem. So it's, it's the temple that's the key. In fact, in the millennial reign, Jesus will not rule from a palace. He's going to rule from the temple. That's something that's never been done before. Jesus Christ will rule from the temple because he is God, amen? The king would never rule from the temple. The king would rule from the palace. And then they'd go worship in the temple. But when Jesus Christ comes... He's going to rule and be worshipped in the temple. That's pretty fantastic too. And so we know that Solomon uh, built that temple afterwards, after the, uh, right before it got destroyed here. Uh, in 2 Chronicles 3 verse 1, it says, Then Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem in Mount Moriah, where the Lord appeared unto David his father in the place that David had prepared in the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. Remember that? when uh, David numbered the people and then the the prophet came to him and gave him three options. (laughs) Either you let the enemies come in and inflict you or you have a plague. And I forget the other one. There's another one. And I forget that one. But what he says is, you know what he said is, you know what? And this is really the right answer. (laughs) David just said, let it fall into the hands of my Lord. If someone's going to do this to me, I want it to be God. That was his answer. And so the Lord sent a angel and that angel went and began a destructive uh, work as he was traveling across the land. And he ended up at this one place, this one threshing floor, and that's where David came and the Lord told him to go there and buy that threshing floor and, and, and uh, offer on an altar there at that very place. And that's where the plague was stayed, right there. And remember how that the uh, Ornan wanted uh, to give him everything. He says, I'll give you the oxen. I'll give you the threshing floor, David. He says, no, no, no. I will not sacrifice unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. Yeah, he, he says, no way, you're getting paid. <laughs> you know." And guess what? That very spot is where, number one, Abraham offered Isaac. Number two, where the plague was stayed. Number three, where the temple was built. That's the Temple Mount, amen, today. (laughs) And so that's quite interesting, but that is the place. And so he's looking forward. He's looking forward. He's looking at Jerusalem. Now, the third thing I want to point out here is the promised purging. Now, 2 Chronicles 6, verse 36, it says this. Now, Solomon, we know, he built the temple on that site right there, Mount Moriah. And as he was building, it it was a fantastic temple. It it, it wasn't as big as Herod's later on, but it was was still, it was more beautiful than Herod's. Amen. And the ones to follow. And so he built this temple. And as he dedicated this temple, he had a prayer. And it was a long prayer. And basically, he was just saying to the Lord, Lord, if we ever mess up and we turn our face back to you at this place, please restore us. And he gave several instances of things, maybe uh, if, if we've ever uh, sinned against you, if, if enemy has ever taken us. And that's what i am gonna read to you now in 2 Chronicles 6, verse 36. If they sin against thee, for there is no man which sinneth not, and thou be angry with them, and deliver them over before their enemies, and they carry them away captives unto a land far off or near. (laughs) Duh, (laughs) I think we qualify, amen. Yet if they bethink themselves in the land whither they are carried captive, and turn and pray unto thee in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned, we have done amiss, and have dealt wickedly. If they return to thee with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity, whither they have carried them captives and pray toward their land, which thou gave us unto their fathers and toward the city which thou hast chosen and toward the house which I have built for thy name, then hear thou from the heavens even from thy dwelling place, their prayer and their supplications and maintain their cause and forgive thy people which have sinned against thee. Why was, David, why was Daniel praying towards Jerusalem that day? <laughs> he knew the scriptures. He knew what to do. He was walking with God. He prayed every day towards Jerusalem, not just for himself, but he was praying for the whole nation and repenting for the whole nation, amen. And he knew he was getting close to that time where they're gonna be sent back to Jerusalem. And so that purging, he knew that it was gonna happen. It was a promise by faith. He was praying and he prayed every day. And that's the way we gotta pray. We gotta pray that, Lord, you're gonna do this. I'm not going to quit because I know you're going to take care of this. I know you're going to answer. And day after day, we bring those things before the Lord. We don't quit on them. Amen. Three times a day, he did that before the Lord towards Jerusalem. Letter B, he kneeled and prayed. I thought this was interesting. Of course, looking at Daniel chapter 6, I remember all these words are Aramaic. So when you look them up in the, in the lexicon or whatever book you're, you're looking up, these original languages, you're getting a one-time usage. <laughs> in other words, you don't see the word "kneel" used anywhere else than in the book of Daniel as far as the Aramaic word is concerned. Uh, it's not Hebrew. So all the other books are written in Hebrew. Amen? And so kneeled is an Aramaic verb meaning What? to bless, to bless. So what I'm saying here is this, kneeling and praying are two different things. See, he didn't just pray, but he kneeled and prayed. (laughs) Otherwise he'd just say he prayed while kneeling. (laughs) No, no, it says that he kneeled and he prayed. So I'll tell you this, when you get on your knees before God, what you're doing is you're blessing God. You're giving God the reverence that he deserves. You only kneel before a king. You only kneel before your God. Amen. That's why many Christians over the years, when they were put in positions to kneel before a pope or kneel before a certain king, they would say no, because I only kneel before one. And the Bible says that his name, every knee shall bow. (laughs) Amen. And so to kneel is to bless. This Americ word is used five times and only in Daniel, and the other four times, it's translated bless. So this is the only time that this word is actually translated kneel. You know what? It's the right word. Read the context. It has to be kneel, (laughs) amen? That's the the power of the word of God. What a wonderful book we have, amen? And I love the King James Bible. I really do. It's wonderful. And so Psalm 16, verse seven says this, I will bless the Lord who hath given me counsel. My reigns also instruct me in the night seasons. Amen. So what he's saying is this. I get on my knees before God. I bless him because he's the one that's counseling me in what I need to do in my life. He is the one that has the counsel. He's the one that has the wisdom. He's the one that can direct me. Folks, have we got to that place in our life where we realize that you don't have what it takes to live your life? You don't have what it takes to live your life successfully. I mean, you can live it like the world, but you can't live it the way that God wants you to live it. (laughs) Amen. We need to be so surrendered to the Lord that we put our decisions into his hand to let him counsel us through all the different things that we face every day. Daniel did three times a day. He blessed the Lord. I bless you, my Lord, because you're the one. That counsels me. Every time he, he was asked for counsel by any king, what did he always respond? It's not me, it's him. See, the reason we can't say that is we don't get on our knees to bless him. We don't get on our knees to get the counsel from them. That's why our decisions and the things that we tell people aren't necessarily the right things to say. We're not telling them the right direction to go because we haven't received that wisdom from the Lord. And the Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, that's kind of rhetorical, I think. If any man <laughs> lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. That means he never comes to you and gives you a slap because you should have known. <laughs> Amen. Like you're going to ask him, you say, oh, so we do, to to Oh, you didn't know that? Phew, what's wrong with you? I mean, God doesn't mock like that. You go to God, it could be you think this is the stupidest thing I could ever ask God, and you know what he's gonna do? He's, let me help you, son. That's the kind of God we have, amen? Bless the Lord. (laughs) He deserves your kneeling. I don't kneel as much as I used to since my knee is hurting so bad, but you know, I do periodically just so I show myself that I still can, amen? (laughs) It's good. Psalm 26, verse 12. My foot standeth in in an even place in the congregation's Will I bless the Lord? Yeah, is. Amen. He said, my foot standeth in an even place. Are you standing in an even place today? You got stability in your life? Do you think you've got a, a life that the Lord has given you? Are, you? are you praising God for what he has done for you? Man, that's, you should be blessing the Lord in the congregations. <laughs> Amen. There ought to be no problem for you to be talking, when you're in conversation with somebody, start talking how good God is and to bless them. Amen. So important that you do that. I mean, we talk about a lot of things when we're talking. Sometimes things we ought not be talking about, but you know, are you talking about the Lord with people? Are you talking about how good he is? Why don't you try that? Why don't you make a change in your family life? When you sit around the table, just start talking about Jesus. (laughs) Start talking about the scriptures, talking about the things that he's done. Talk about the gospel. (laughs) Talk about how, how the Lord saved you. Talk about good things. It'll push all that garbage right out of your home. Amen. Bless the Lord, the Bible says, in the congregations. Let's bless the Lord. Uh, Kneeling, of course, was a different act than prayer. There's kneeling, which is blessing, which is reverential, which is, Lord, I need you. I need your help. I'm coming before you humbly. The prayer is, Lord, this is what I need to ask you. This is what I need help with. This is how the situation that I'm in. Could you please show me the way out? Amen. And I'll tell you, he will always give you the wisdom. Letter C, he gave thanks to God. Give thanks to offer praise. That's what it means. Uh, We looked at that on Thanksgiving in Hebrews 13, verse 5. I love this verse. It says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I don't know about you. If I'd be going through something like Daniel's going through right now, he knows that he's got two presidents and 120 princes that have marked him and want to take him down. And you know what he does? Goes and kneels and prays and thanks God. Because he knew that the only way to be free in the midst of all of that was to be thankful. If he wasn't going to be thankful, then he would have been in torment. Then he would have been bothered. Then he would have been, uh, you know, not being able to think right. And the devil would be taking advantage of his thinking and giving him imaginations. Oh, they must be thinking this and they're going to do this and they're going to do that. (laughs) You know, for me, it never amazes me when I it never ceases to amaze me that when, when I deal with some people that aren't right with the Lord and they, they, they come to you and they say, oh yeah, well, this is probably what you're doing. This is probably what you Oh, he's probably, probably. Because their, imagine, their imaginations have run so wild that they think they know what you're doing when they're not there, <laughs> amen? That's how the devil plays with your head. You guys ever done that? oh yeah, they must be doing this. I know what they're thinking. You know nothing. You don't have a clue unless you were there and saw it with your own eyes. And if you didn't see it or hear it with your own eyes, guess what? You know nothing. Nothing. You know how much of the the pain and sorrow in your life is because you are thinking of things that are not even true? Think about it. (laughs) If you were to kick out the things that were not true in your mind and heart, you'd be a much happier person because those are lies. And the Bible says that the devil is the father of all lies. Amen. You know how to overcome stuff like that? When you know that you're in a situation, confess, ask forgiveness, but then you know what? Thank the Lord. Have a thankful attitude. Thankful attitudes don't produce imaginations. Amen. You're just thanking God. You're thanking God for trouble. Oh my goodness, you don't ever thank God for trouble. Yes, you do. In everything, give thanks. Something I've learned, sometimes the greatest blessings come upon the church of God when they go through the hardest things. So as much as if you'd ask me, hey, would you like this to start now? I'd say, no. (laughs) But if God chooses to do that, I'm gonna choose to thank him in that. Because I know if God's involved, it's going to be better than it was before. Do you guys believe me on that? Amen. Are you hearing me? Are you guys sleeping? You okay. Okay. I'm just wondering have you mastered the art of sleeping with your eyes open? No. <laughs> Amen. So, number four Daniel was persistent in prayer. Notice what it says as he did aforetime. That means he just kept on doing this. Folks, take those burdens whatever you're dealing with, go to the Lord every day and lay them at his feet. Lay them at his feet. Kneel before him, thank him, and put those burdens on him. He's the only one that can carry it. Sometimes I go to the Lord and say, Lord, I can't carry this. I tell him very straight, I cannot carry this. You know, there are some things that he wants me to carry. The Bible says that every man shall bear his own burden. But then on another same passage, it says... We ought to bear one another's burdens, (laughs) amen? So there's some burdens that you're supposed to carry alone, but then there's some burdens that other people have to carry with you. All I know is that you can't carry all the burdens yourself. You need help, (laughs) amen? So you carry the burdens that the Lord has for you. You carry the cross that he's designed for your life, but then those extra burdens, you gotta give them to God. He's the only one that can carry them, amen? So true, and he will, I mean, immediately when you put them, on, you just notice the peace. That's why it says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen. How true that is. Um, Psalm 43 verse one says this, judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an unholy, ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. For thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, who is the health of my countenance and my God. Amen. That's a prayer right there. You could take Psalm 43 on your knees and you could pray that to God and he would answer you. You know, because sometimes you just relate to these things. You say, Lord, I know what David's feeling here. I can, I've been there. Yeah. You know, sometimes you just need to take a psalm and pray it back to God. Yeah, I mean. He is in no way offended at that. In fact, he's very pleased with that. So I don't have the words. Well, then read a psalm to God. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul. <laughs> Amen. It's good stuff. Letter B. Daniel's enemies assembled. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Number one, their assembly was tumultuous. Interesting. I looked up the word assembled. It means to gather in a tumultuous throng. So here these people aren't just coming there and just, uh, excuse me, you're praying. These guys got together and it was a tumult. I mean, can you imagine if, it's like if the police would knock down your door with a search warrant and wouldn't ask for your permission. (laughs) You know, just bam, that's a tumult, amen? And that's the kind of thing that these guys were doing to Daniel. Their gathering was not a gathering of peace, like a church assembly. See, we ought not gather in a tumult. (laughs) Sometimes maybe we do, but we ought not be gathering in a tumult. This church ought to be a a peaceful gathering. And guess what? When you guys get together with your families, it ought to be a peaceful assembly as well. The only time it's not a peaceful assembly is when you're assembling because you're doing something bad. Then it's not peaceful. Then it's tumultuous, amen? Then it's angry. Then it's critical. James 3 verse 17 says this about God's wisdom. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Boy, I'll tell you something. You take that verse home and you study all those words and you say, Lord, I'm going to apply this to my life and to the way that I respond to people. You know what? God's going to bless your life. Think about that. Peaceable and gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality. That means you don't make judgments just because you like one person more than the next. You make a righteous judgment. You judge because you know the truth. Amen? Not just what somebody says because they're mad. I mean, it's got to be peaceful, without partiality, without hypocrisy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, says this, Now no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In other words, the Lord is always interested in you living in peace. Amen. He wants peace in your heart. He wants peace in your home. He wants peace in the church. He wants peace in our cities. He wants peace all over. But guess what? It doesn't always happen. But that is a result of God's wisdom being in your life. Number two, Daniel obeyed God rather than man. So here, in this passage, these men are telling the king that Daniel regardeth not the king's law. <laughs> now, What does that mean? That means Daniel is not making the king's law a big deal in his life. He is not obeying it. Why is that? Because he had another law to obey. Do you understand that when it comes to a conflict between God's law and man's law, you always pick God's law. And you don't regard man's law. You pick God's law. (laughs) Amen. That means when it comes to making a choice, you always do the right thing, what God requires. And folks, you don't do it belly aching. You don't do it complaining. You don't do it saying, oh, well, you know, we're supposed to obey God. Why are you doing this to me? You do it expecting to pay a price. Daniel did not belly He regarded the law of God. And when they came to him, he didn't say, hey, I got my religious liberty. I'm supposed to say, hey, what are you doing here, Maybe you can do that here. Maybe you can put on a protest. That's up to you. But when it comes down to the base nature of what you're going through, God wants you to do what He's asked you to do and take the hit for it. Amen. Amen. Because ultimately, if you're just going to have an attitude about God's law, you're going to stop obeying it because the cost is going to become too much. Amen. And Acts 5, verse 29 says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. They as well, they were preaching and teaching Christ. The Pharisees took them in. They beat them. They insulted them. Stop preaching Jesus. Peter stands up. I'm obeying God rather than men. They beat him again and let him go. <laughs> you know, In other words, they, they didn't go to the police and charge the Pharisees. They took the beating for the cause of Christ. Now, I'm not saying don't go to the police if someone beats you up, amen. Please do. But you know, there's a principle there. I think sometimes when we obey God, we become offended that we have to pay a price for it. You should never be offended paying a price for obeying God. You understand that? That's important. Are you guys listening to me tonight? You guys are all sleeping. I I think you are. You've mastered it. (laughs) Some of you are cross-eyed, so I know it. All right, we'll be done real quick here. And um, let her see that we'll be done. The king regretted his decision. Verse 14, it says, Then the king, when he heard these words, were sore displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men assembled unto the king, same word, tumultuous. They came in you know, and and it's just a big mess of a meeting, you know, they didn't come in order, it was a tumultuous assembly once again, and said unto the king, know, O king, that the law of the Medes and the Persians is, that no decree nor statute which the king establishes may be changed. In other words, they saw that he was trying to find a way to deliver Daniel and boy, they got something under their saddle that time. And they came right back in. Hey, remember, king, you can't change that law. They were so concerned about the law, so concerned about the king and how that king gets prayed to. They didn't care about any of those things. They didn't care about the, care about the law, nor did they care about the king. They cared about themselves. Amen. Amen. And that's usually what it is when you're an accuser. Accusers don't try to find a solution. They just try to make the problem bigger. Amen? That's what accusers do. Number one, the king was sore displeased with himself. That means an abundance of distress concerning his decision. So sore displeased means an abundant of distress he was very distressed and I put a little quote here it is vital to think through our decisions or we could live with many regrets just think if he would have had his head on straight if he would have been walking with God if he would have had his head on or his spiritual ears on when they came in the first time and wanted him to make that law he could have caught it right there and there would have been no problem And many times that's the way it is, guys, because we're not spending time with God, we're not walking with God, we get in a situation, we make a decision, and then we have to pay the price. And we have so many regrets, you know. Number two, the king labored to deliver Daniel from his his unchangeable decree. It says, and he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Letter A, he set his heart on Daniel. The word set is the same word as the word regardeth in the Aramaic. So set and regardeth are actually the same word with the same meaning. So think about this. I thought about that. I started putting it together. And this is a quote I got, I came up with. Because Daniel regarded God, the king ultimately set his heart on Daniel. Think about that. See, because Daniel regarded God, the king set his heart on Daniel. How do you get favor of men? I'm telling my boys, they just started a business. You can ask them this. I've told them this several times. As says, boys, if you want the favor of men, you gotta have the favor of God. Yeah. Amen. That means you do right. You do right by your work. You do right by your attitude. You do right by how you treat the people that you're working for. You do right by the quality of work that you do. And if you do right before your God, as unto him, he will make it so that the king will set his heart on you. What an amazing thing. (laughs) And Seth was just sharing with me today something his his boss said about a shortage of work coming up. And he said, you know what? You guys are safe. Because he had to eliminate some crews. Think about that. See, that's where it counts. Amen. You may think, oh, it doesn't really matter. But man, when when the shortage comes, you're the first one to get axed. You need the favor of men, but you're not going to have the favor of men if you don't have the favor of God. Now I realize there's some men that ne- you'll never have their favor because they want to destroy you. Yeah. But you know, they don't matter. Amen. They have no impact on the will of God for your life. They have no impact on whether you'd be blessed or not because God has already picked the people that need to show you favor. And if you do right by him, he will get them to set their heart on you. And those are the people that matter. Amen? That's kind of interesting. The Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty seven, 27, he that diligently seeketh good procureth favor, but he that seeketh mischief, it shall come unto him. Amen? Wow, that's a warning and a half. Proverbs 12, verse two, a good man obtaineth favor of the Lord, but a man of wicked devices will he condemn. Psalm 5, verse 12, For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. In 1 Samuel 2, 26, And the child Samuel grew on and was in favor, both with the Lord and also with men. Amen? That's important. I think people ought to like us. They ought to see there's something special about us. You know, especially authorities, especially bosses, especially people that are, you're working for that are giving you your paychecks. That's by way of you getting your money, amen? I think the Lord wants them to favor you because they, he wants those bosses to look at you and say, man, there's something special about this and I can't really put my finger on it until ultimately you let them know that you are a child of God and you love God. Yeah. And then they'll say, oh, Maybe that's why I favor them. <laughs> Have you ever been the recipient of that kind of favor in your life? It's real. It is real. And that's why I told my boys, as boys, don't rely on your talent alone. Your talent and your, your strength and your abilities, I'm sure it's all good and I appreciate that, but you can't do it just with that. You need the blessing of God. You need the blessing of God he labored until the going down of the sun <laughs> think about this this king he labored <laughs> so what's he trying he's trying to fix something that he broke but you know what it's going to come up empty now i give him credit that he cares about daniel but you know what he has got no way to help daniel whatsoever laboring till the going down of the sun remind me of psalm 60 verse 11 Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Yeah. So here Daniel's going to be casting the lion's den. Can you imagine if he'd be sitting there? Oh, maybe, maybe Darius will pull through for me. Maybe he'll change that law. I don't think he was thinking that at all. <laughs> I think he was saying, you know what, God, this is all on you. If I die tonight, that's your will. If I don't die tonight, that's your will. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> For vain is the help of man. He tried to make a change in the unchangeable, and he could not. Sometimes we get ourselves in situations that we cannot escape in our own power. It is a lesson that sometimes we make decisions that cannot be reversed. Think about that. Many times I know I've been teaching youth and college career and young people. I tell them over and over, it says, hey, You can make one decision and change the complete direction of your life forever. Don't do it. Be careful. Seek for God's wisdom. Follow the Lord. Amen. Follow his principles. You'll ruin your life, you know. Proverbs 5 verse 20 says, But why wilt thou, my son, be ravished with a strange woman, and embrace the bosom of a stranger. Now, a strange woman isn't somebody with cross-eyed or weird-looking face. strange woman is someone that, someone you're not supposed to be with. <laughs> that means that God has got someone for every young man that doesn't have the gift of singleness, amen, and anything other than that one is strange to you. And the Bible says, stay away from the strange woman. And it goes on to say, for the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquities shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his sins. He shall die without instruction, and in greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. That's just the consequence of our decisions is so powerful. Now I look at this king, you know, he made this decision. He got put in this decision where he was being pumped up. He was being flattered. He was being looked at as the big guru. You're the big kahuna here. Everybody loves you. They're going to worship you. And oh yeah, let's sign that thing. And it didn't take long. And all of a sudden he's just vexed in his soul that he couldn't change what he started. And that's not the kind of life you want to live. And sometimes we find ourselves there And we need to understand that the only way out, like I talked on Sunday night, do you guys remember that message? Many of us, we try to go up. The only way out is down through humility to the Lord. Amen. Another quote that I thought about in relation to this, we all can choose how we live. Ecclesiastes talks about that, talks about Go ahead, old man, young man, and follow your heart. Do whatever your heart desires. But remember this, for all these things, thou shalt come into judgment. <laughs> Amen. Another way he's saying, you want to go do something? Go ahead, go do it. You can't tell me what to do. No, go do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. Make your decisions. But remember this, every decision has a consequence. We can all choose how to live, but we cannot choose the consequence of our decisions. Think about it. You can always choose the way you live, but that consequence is going to be beyond your power. So make the right choices. (laughs) Amen. Make the right choices. Let's bow our heads.